Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies, your workforce transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kathy Palacio, Senior Vice President of Global Automotive Lead for GP Strategies. I am joined today by my co-host for the series, Dave Zakowski, Chief Strategy Officer for Unite Digital, who serves as a member of GP Strategies Automotive Advisory Board, and our guest today, Matthew Daniel, a researcher and thought leader on talent trends based on economic indicators, talent mobility, and the future of work. This is the third episode in our series on automotive talent, and today we're going to talk about how to prepare the workforce for today and tomorrow. So Daniel, welcome. Do it one more time and try Matthew. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> you are you're so picky. Dude. We call it we call it the curse of Ricky Bobby at our house with oh the, uh, the two first I, names. Uh, but you know yeah, I, don't I, Kathy, don't be embarrassed. Uh, it it, it literally it, happens every day. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be with you all. Great. So, Matthew, you have written a couple of fascinating articles over the last couple of years that I've had the pleasure of reading. And in these articles, you're talking about hard skills versus soft skills or what today we might call power skills or human skills. And you've proposed a a different model that we should be thinking about that I think is just a great analogy for skills. Would, Would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, let me let me share. I'm going to use words. I'm going to talk about durable versus perishable skills. But before that, I want to lead you all maybe down a little bit of a journey that I went on myself. So a few years ago, some research came out and essentially the message of the research was, look, skills aren't lasting like they used to. Uh, in fact, skills are more perishable than ever. The half-life of a skill, that is how long that skill adds value to you. Uh, decreases by about 50% over five years. And what they were saying then, uh, there's an analyst by the name of Josh Burson who wrote a lot about this, uh, Burson by Deloitte. And he talked about the more technical the skill, the closer that half-life of the skill, again, the value that that skill provides value to you or the time it does, is it reduces by about 50% over two and a half years, the more technical it is. And so as I started to think about that whole concept, I think a lot of workforce development folks, especially folks in the learning and talent development community started to look around at each other and say, oh God, we've got to start producing content more quickly. We've got to get more programs out. We've got to retool our whole unit to think more quickly about how we get to market. And I, I don't disagree with that. I actually think it's really important. I think for those who live in the automotive world where you're year after year putting out new models and you've got to prepare a workforce to be ready for that, it's especially relevant. But ultimately, what I started to think about is we've historically talked about hard skills, you know, something that's technical about a platform or about a product, or we've thought of things in terms of soft skills. And uh, I can't think of a worse way to describe them, but communication and uh, uh, how you get out there and do strict thinking or problem solving. And about that same time, really what occurred to me about this whole concept of the half-life of skills is I immediately started thinking, well, that means that some skills last longer and some skills don't last as long. And if I'm a business person, I don't really care about whether a 
a skill is hard or soft. It, it makes no relevance. It's not relevant to me at all. It makes no difference. I started to think about power skills as a description and others. It really didn't, didn't matter. But if you're a business person who's making investments, you're, you're a business leader, and I'm trying to make a recommendation to a business leader about how they should think about skill development across a portfolio, then the fact that some skills are more durable and some skills are more perishable that is the investment I make in that skill into my workforce either lasts longer or dissipates more quickly actually matters a lot. How long those things matter to my workforce matters. So anyway, uh, I, I, as I started to think about this concept of, well, some skills I give to my workforce are more durable, then I actually need to be really thoughtful. Here, Here's how that translates to me. I think they're Historically, there's been like the T model. This came out of, uh, I, I think the team at IBM put out the first version of the T model skills, which is like, you need this base of soft skills, and then you need deep technical skills in one area. And then there was another iteration that looked like a E model, and you had kind of multiple areas of depth. But ultimately, the way that I started to think about this more often was, that honestly, the hard skills are kind of the foundation. They're the thing that everything works off of. These, um, let me try that again. What I started to think of was that these durable skills were the foundation. They were critical. And I think as we think about the way that we invest in our workforce, we tend to imagine that what we really need to do, if, if you've got a salesperson out on the lot, what you really need to do is get them up to speed with this year's makes and models. And you need to get them really sharp about features in the product, what they're going to go out and talk about. Those are the things that we tend to invest in really, really quickly. But it turns out if I can't hang my make and, and my product information on some version of understanding how to communicate. Look, I, I think, and we'll talk more about this as we go, but in, in retail in particular, it used to be that what you needed to do was know how to talk with a customer once they walked in on the, on the floor. Now what you need to do is you need to take those same communication skills and you need to figure out how to do it by phone. You need to know how to do it by email. You need to know how to do it by text. And if what I do is teach you how to text or use my texting tool, I have ultimately failed you, right? Because what I need you to know how to do is to communicate in every context. That is the durable skill. How do I, how do I communicate? How do I get to the point? How do I get you what you need as soon as possible in this long lasting way? Now I can give you different tools to communicate over time, but I need you to have the right durable foundation that translates across. And I think that the other layer to me is that the closer an employee is to the front line, the more we tend to focus on perishable skills. We tend to think about how do you use this particular tool? You have all the facts and figures you need memorized about this product you're going to go out and sell. And ultimately, what I'm doing is creating people who can't help me in the long run because they don't know how to be flexible. They don't have the durable foundation. I, there is a there's a literal tree analogy that I use for this, which is essentially durable skills are are like the trunk of the tree, and they are it's going to sit out there on on my property. I have a bunch of ash trees, and there's one in our backyard. I had an uh, arborist out, and he's well. This this is a 90 year old tree, and that tree is planted. It's got this foundation that year after year, new branches come up. Those branches last for a couple of years. It's got leaves that come up. Those leaves die off every single year and I rake them up. They're a pain in the rear. 
But ultimately, I have these things that change over and over. Those are my perishable skills. They grow and die every year. It's the specific make and model information. It's how I run this process or how I use this platform. I have my branches. Those are, let's say, my sales methodologies. Whose methodology am I using right now? I'm going to change it in a couple of years. It's got more durability than, say, specific information about make and model. But ultimately, I'm going to replace it in a couple of years for a different sales methodology. Then there's that core of the tree. It is how I communicate with customers. It is how I solve problems. It is how I relate and build personal relationships. That's the thing that once you get it, you get it. It's durable. It lasts for a really long time. I have to learn how on top of that communication and relationship building, uh, I, I start to put frameworks that are my sales methodologies and leaves that are my ever-changing product information makes and models year after year. So anyway, I bring that out as an example specifically, hopefully to make it a, a little more realistic, that hard and soft doesn't matter to the business. doesn't matter if you're a dealer. It doesn't matter if you're the OEM. It doesn't matter where you fall. What you care about is if I'm going to pull people off the floor, whether they're manufacturing or sales, and I'm going to take them away from productivity time, is the investment that I'm making in those people going to last for six months or 12 months? Or is the investment that I'm making in those people going to last for three or five or seven or 10 years? And it's a bedrock on which I can hang all of this ever-changing information for the employees that I have. So as, as we think about that, I spend a lot of time talking to employers. Look, you, you have to know make and model information. You've got to know the sales methodology. You've got to know the tools. Those are all really important. But I need it to work a bit like my 401k, or I need it to be equally distributed. I need to make investments that are going to last a really long time and mature over a really long time so that they're ready. Also, I need to make investments to shore up. They're a little riskier, but they're going to make me more money in the short term. Those are some of those more perishable features of skills. So anyhow, as I thought about this whole framework of hard versus soft doesn't matter, if I am making investments in spinning up new learning programs and ultimately I'm just churning over and over with skills that are only going to matter from month to month or year to year, I'm making bad business investments whenever instead I need to create a more uh, thoughtful distribution about how the learning events I create are actually giving folks durable skills on top of giving folks perishable skills. Wow, Daniel, that's that's a lot. You un, you 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 gave us a lot to unpack there. So I think the first thing is I I want to just reinforce this notion of durable, semi-durable, and perishable skills. And I think that's really what attracted me to your body of work. Is you're right as as a company that serves OEMs every year, we spend a lot of time and energy and, and dollars investing in what I think are skills that are going to be obsolete when the next model year comes out. Yep. Um, and we're seeing that now as the industry is shifting from ICE to EV, is we don't have a good foundation of maybe semi-durable or durable skills upon which to, to hang new ways of thinking about how vehicles are sold and operated and maintained. Um, and, and I think that that presents a unique opportunity right now. So where's the balance? You, you talked about we, all, we need all three, but where's the balance of investment? 
Yeah, I think the balance of investment starts with the really good foundation. So I think, look, here, here's what I, I don't think that you need to do. I don't think that you need to go out and deliver a course that's just focused on a, a bunch of items with communication. Um, let, me, let me draw it out this way. There was a time that what we thought we needed to do was just to get as lean as possible. And there's no industry that's embraced the concept of lean more than automotive. So we have this concept of lean. Well, lean in, got it deep into the uh, senses and pores of workforce development. And so what the teams thought that they would do is that they would strip down every iota of superfluous information in any course, in any tool that they put out into the field. And what they said is, if you're going to sell, all you need to know is how to sell this particular feature. What well, turns out when all you teach people is features and you don't give them the frameworks around that to sell or the durable skills of understanding how to communicate, you got a problem. So it's, it's not a matter of potentially mixing up more courses. I, I need a course on communications and then I need a course on this year's mate. What I actually need to do is find ways, instead of being so lean with my training to just focus on features, I need to say, how do I teach you about this feature? And then how do I embed inside that a conversation about how you communicate more broadly? So here's how you communicate more broadly. You understand the fundamentals of how people want to receive information. Here's what active listening is. With this particular make and model, here's what you might hear from a customer when they walk through the floor. Here's how you can recognize that that's a signal for you to talk about this product or feature. So it's not that I need a bunch of standalone courses in order to just train people on durable skills and semi-durable skills and perishable skills. Instead, what I need to do is as I walk into every topic, the conversation about that product and feature needs to be hung in. How do I do this in the frameworks that we use for sales? And how do I do this in a way that builds durable skills around communication, teaches about active listening, those types of things? So it is that you do all three thoughtfully over and over. Now, this requires some uh, strategery, as one might say, where I actually have to be intentional about thinking about how those durable skills are being baked into product all year long. They're being baked into my product training and the supports that I put in place all year long, but that's what they get paid for, right? Workforce development should be good at this, of knowing how to make sure that they're baking all pieces of that into the same program. But it is a, I would just say, we tend to think of it in this, um, let's get you up to speed on product first, get you on the floor, get you selling, make sure we don't lose you. I think what, what people are looking for is for somebody to say to them, look, the work that we're doing here, it has purpose and it matters. And connecting to that in that durable framework and then giving them the product information as they go. So, so it's a it's a day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year thing where you are both thoughtful about how you deliver the immediate information they need to know, but you're wrapping that in examples that call on them to use the skills that they need around communication active listening, et cetera, rather than just going to one extreme or another with any particular training program you're rolling out to the workforce. Very intriguing stuff. It, it's it's so funny in a, uh, in a, in a 40 year OEM career, we focus uh, very much and are very comfortable with uh, traditional sales training and traditional technical training. And we'll uh, uh, occasionally go out and try to figure out 
the process training piece that says, you know, we want to change the behaviors within the store. But this is different than that. This is really, um, and I'm oversimplifying for sure, but, but it's really uh, moving from a, uh, a negotiation-based or transactional-based to a relationship-based. And, and the, 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 the bedrock, if you will, the, the tree trunk, is the ability to establish a relationship. And, and I think um, obviously that makes sense in any industry and at any time, whether it's pre-COVID or post-COVID, but it particularly makes sense now in automotive because other industries has taught us that relationship-based selling is how consumers want to buy now. And automotive is not there yet. And I think that the burden, the importance of what you're talking about has never been more so than it is right now in automotive. And so we need to figure out a way to slow down and 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 build just some general assumptions about life and how people want to be talked to and they don't want to be sold, but they but they want to have a conversation. Those types of things. And then like you say, the the specific you know product trim and and product attributes and all that will come, but you need to have the broader skill set that says this is how I want to establish a relationship with you. This is how I'm going to build credibility with you. This is how I'm going to create a win-win for you and for us. I mean, it's it's just so basic that I, I think it often gets overlooked. Yeah, I, I here's what's fascinating. Um, I think for for your listeners to know, I I, I have some familiarity with uh, automotive space. I, I had the opportunity for about two years to work uh, in General Motors Center of Learning, and that's the group that supports. Uh, uh, dealership uh, training. And one of the things that I actually did with them was went with a number of folks inside the center of learning to do some listening to the folks out in the field and say, you know, we, we come, we tell you all about the product. When we think of what the center of learning needs to be to you, what is it that you want from us? And here's what we had heard overwhelmingly. And and David, this is why I think it's it's so imperative to talk about it. it. It does seem really fundamental. I think there was always this tension about how much should the OEM declare sales methodology or how much should the OEM talk about these fundamental skills. That's not maybe that's not our job. What our job is to do is to talk about uh, trims and features, right? That's that's our job. I think what we heard when we sat with the actual folks who were in dealerships, this isn't even the the operators, when we talked with the folks on the floor themselves, even folks who'd been doing it for years, what they said is the nature of relationships have changed. The nature of, of, of uh, the platforms have changed. The technology we're using has changed. But here's what we really want. We want you to teach us about sales basics, about relationships. Uh, more or less what they said is, uh, it doesn't feel like sales is a profession that you can be proud of anymore. In particular, auto sellers are the butt of jokes. And we have a pride in the work that we do. We think it matters in society. And we need you to help us be better at that in the dealership, to present ourselves and to have the tools to be proud of the work that we're doing and the way that we serve the communities in which we live. And so it really actually became a part of what we were trying to do in every product program we were rolling out at that point in time 
was to be more intentional about establishing the pride in one's profession, understanding the frameworks and the really durable skills in that. And then, of course, teach you about the, the product so you can sell it, right? It's a bit of a, a, a needle. You've got a thread. It's not always so easy. But it wasn't just that we saw that from the OEM and it was our opinion and it was the thing that we should do or the operators said, this is what we expect of you. It was the folks who were on the dealership floors who said, we need something different in order to be successful in our new context. It, it's so interesting that brands uh, used to be built based on very specific attributes, like you were, a, you were the quality brand or you were the safety brand. I think back to Volvo stacking cars on top of one another, or you were the performance brand, think BMW, or you were the styling brand. Audi built an entire marketing campaign around headlights, right? They're way ahead of everybody in headlights. So you built a, a brand attribute that was very specific to the brand. And, and now it seems to be the way to go is you're building the best way to build a brand is through God forbid I say it the softer skills, but it's it's the ability to <laughs> to create uh, relationships, lasting relationships uh, with 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 your customers, with your clients, and it and it really goes beyond brand attributes because it's the it, it, all the quality of the cars are all pretty good right now. The performance is all pretty good. The safety is all pretty good. You know, government regulations are going to take care of all that where it becomes very difficult and the lines get very blurred on terms of how you define a brand. But but the way to define a brand today, I would submit, is is that the treatment that they receive, the consistency of the treatment that they receive at a dealership. So in, in, in that regard, your 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 tentacles, your technical training is going to be what's unique about us versus other brands. But the core uh, piece of development that, that you accept as a as a, a salesperson for that brand is we treat customers better than anybody else treats customers. We want them coming back. We're going to take care of them. This is a long term proposition for us. And that. That whole idea, I think today is the best way to build a brand versus trying to do it on individual attributes. Yeah, it, it becomes a matter of not just knowing the trim, but knowing how to listen to a customer as they really explain their problem yep. and put that trim in the context of the problems that those folks are enduring every day. And that that skill, not just describing the trim, but knowing how to put that trim smack in the world of the person who walks onto the floor, that's that's not understanding the trim. That is understanding how to listen to people and to frame your solution inside of their problem, right? That that is a completely different skill set than just memorizing a set of facts and figures about how much you can haul. I agree. So, Matthew, on the subject of of skills gaps. Um, we we see this shifting. You know, if you look over the last five to ten years in terms of what are the the you know the top ten or fifteen you know most desired skills across industry, we see things like negotiation dropping and critical thinking rising. And so I'm I'm curious um, what your views are on where where do you think the skills of the future are are headed? What are the kinds of semi durable and durable skills that we should we as an industry should be focusing on to deliver on a better customer experience, as Dave has been talking about? So Kathy, I think it's a really interesting question. I want to bring up one specific skill that I think is is really critical, and I I don't know that we're talking about it enough which is agility. 
I think the world around our sellers is changing every single day. And I mean that in their local communities, the dynamics of, oh, politics. And yeah, there's certainly the new technology, you know, being able to, we we used to talk about it when I was in-house at Capital One, we talked about the difference between digital illiteracy and literacy and fluency. I certainly think digital is is a set of skills to be able to interact with technology and to explain it in really simple ways with folks. I think that's it. But ultimately, I think agility is one of the key tools that every uh, worker in the workforce in the year 2022 needs to have, which is the world is shifting around me. The context is changing. The political landscape means that laws are changing that govern how I interact. We all know the privacy laws in California, what that's meant in automotive spaces. And it's actually really critical that employees themselves develop skills around being agile, uh, receiving new information, pivoting based on what they learn, getting into a learning mindset. I think a, a really critical piece of this is getting to a point where I understand what it is I need to know versus what it is that I can go look up. We, there are loads of fantastic in, in industry speak, we call it performance support, but essentially there's lots of places that you can go, that you can open up a reference guide, you can go into an app and it can explain to you what, what the you know trunk capacity is of a particular sedan. So that is not the thing that I need my workforce to to know to memorize and to spout off. I know I know I'm stepping on some to- toes when I say that. I know there are a number of OEMs who are testing pretty hardcore on things like trunk capacity, but I just I want to reflect on the fact that if I know how to be agile, if I know how to learn, and most importantly, if I know how to build relationships with people, genuine relationships that keep them coming back year after year after year, because I know them, I know their challenges, I understand their life, I live in their community, I know what's shifting in the local schools, I know what's changing about my community, then I get to connect with them on a whole different level and speak to how my product features solve their real life problems, right? That's, that is a, a critical skill gap in retail that says, hey, this isn't just about the product itself, but it's about understanding how to put the product in the context of the employer that walks through the door, build relationships, and flex with whatever whatever change the OEM is going to throw at me this year. Well, and as you said, not just the OEM, but society and government, there, there's so much change being thrown at us all the time. And that ability to think quickly on our feet, to pivot, to adapt, uh, I, I agree with you. I think I think that's critical. And Dave, I'm reminded of something you said years ago in talking to dealers, and that is that you talked about how do we add value to the customer's journey when the customer actually themselves has access to so much information. Yeah. You know, where where do we build on their journey, uh, and and how do we add value? Uh, in a new and different way. Yeah, that, I mean, in the, the, really, there's you know, in the context was how do we 
prevent becoming a Hallmark cult, uh, card store or to a lesser extent Barnes <laughs> & Noble because you don't really have to go into a dealership to buy a car and that's going to change going forward. And 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 so why understanding why people go into a store becomes very critical to how you build your processes within the store to address why they're there. So, so they go there to have a test drive. They can't really, now we're working obviously on remote test drives and stuff, but they go into the store to have a test to have a test drive because they can't do that in front of their computer at home. So if you don't have cars washed and gassed and frontlined and routes picked out, then you're really not addressing their needs. They go into a store to get a second level of, of, of um, technical information that they can't get by Googling it. So if you, you aren't if you aren't trained on all the the hard points and the products and the you know what sort of load does this electric vehicle have on 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 the the grid and all those types of things, then again you're not you're not serving their needs. And and the other one is is they 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 want a, a friendly face, they want a relationship, so that when they do have to go into the dealership, which is often overwhelming process for them per service or whatever, they want to be able to connect with somebody. If so, if you don't have the ability to connect with them, the ability to have really highly trained people that can help them with questions that Google can't. And if you aren't ready to help them test drive, then you're not serving a purpose and you're not creating any value and you are going to get downsized, right? There's no need for you. So, and and, yeah. and I think that same uh, thought process goes into exactly what Matthew is talking about in terms of how do we create value for the consumers so that they have to come here versus our competitors in, in with surrounding brands. David, I think you, you you just said something that to me keys in on a really important part of, of uh, durable versus perishable, which is perishable skills are the things that go into Google. They are the things that are most likely to be automated away. Those are the things that are going to be outsourced to technology over and over and over again. It's part of the reason that when we talk about skills being perishable and changing so quickly, Part of it is that technology is coming up behind us and taking things off of our plate that really matter in that perishable bucket. And so I think you're right. I don't show up in a dealership and I don't think you show up in a dealership for the concepts of, of uh, anything that I can find on Google, right? When I went to buy my new vehicle last year and I went in a dealership, I, I came locked and loaded with every possible detail, looking at the prices across three states that I could get to, I, I came to have a conversation about my problems and whether I thought that that car could solve my problems. And I wanted to explain my problems and I wanted my professional salesperson to help me understand how those features matched into my world. We, we use some data. I just wanna talk about the sellers themselves for just a second, which is we, we talk about three things in, in our research, which is that employees today are looking for number one purpose. Their job is a part of their occupational identity, right? And they wanna know that what they show up to do actually is important in the world. And it's part of their personal purpose is their work. Number two, they want decent pay, right? We're not gonna tackle that today, but just put that on the list. They want decent pay. Number three is they want pathways for tomorrow. They want opportunities. Now pathways in some organizations mean vertical movement. In a dealership, pathways mean just new opportunities and responsibilities. They, they mean cross-training in, in different areas. It means uh, not being held back. And so that, that area, I want to specifically just focus in on purpose. I think 
helping people connect, helping sellers connect with their purpose is one of the most powerful things that uh, a dealership can do, helping them form that occupational identity that you don't sell cars, you are a seller, you are a professional seller. It is your career. It is the place that you add value to society. I think it's just really important to help people understand that set of uh, a view of the world so that you can then go hang on a lot of, you know, sales methodology onto that framework or, or potential uh, trim level details onto that framework later, but you really got to help your sellers establish their purpose and their role in the community. And that, that purpose is not uh, closing deals. Right? I, I, I just love that concept. And, and the way I had thought about it before was, and it's a, it's a slippery slope to say that product knowledge becomes less important when the consumer oftentimes knows more about the product than the salesperson because they've been researching it and they know all the detail and they're looking for something very specific. But the reality is, is, is you need to learn how to apply that product knowledge yes. uh, and, 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 and be able to speak to the practical applications of that knowledge. Yes. Well, what does that mean for me? What does it mean for the environment? What is it? I mean, so, so, under, you know, there's a base knowledge you have to have, but like you had talked about and that, that fits in perfectly. It's not that, the technical skills are less important today. It's That's just right. they're a they're a price of entry, and that where you add value is in giving the the application of that to to you or your family or whoever. I I love that idea. Yeah, I would say that if Matthew, when he walked into that dealership armed with all the information that he had, if he encountered someone who didn't have that same level of information and more, he probably would have rejected that salesperson. Matthew, am I am I right? <laughs> I, you're exactly right. Uh, after the work I've done, yeah, I would have said I need somebody who knows their stuff. Please, please send me somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there's something else that you touched on in in what you were just talking about in terms of what employees are looking for because we are all living through, call it what you will. I'll say the Great Resignation. Right, we're seeing more people move on to new and different and and sometimes better opportunities, but not always. And, and I'm curious as to what are your thoughts around skills for management? Uh, because as we all know, people don't quit their job, they quit their manager. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, here, here, is the, here is what I'm going to key in on, Kathy. It is a thing that I've become just such a deep believer in. And I think if you go to most of, especially sales managers, what you're going to hear about is the importance of coaching. I think coaching is one of the most critical skills in management positions looking forward. Uh, the ability to not just set goals for people and to tell them what they, they should deliver on. And it's not just to deliver performance appraisals and let them know about upcam upcoming personnel changes or policy changes, but it is the ability to see where people are and to help them devise a plan of how they get better. It, it requires saying hard things to them, asking questions. Where are you? Where do you want to be? Uh, what are the places where you're struggling? Here are the places I see you're struggling on the follow through. I'm looking at your data and I know I can see a trend. Here's the trend for you versus other sellers in the department. Here's the trend for you versus other uh, technicians in the department. Here's what the data says to me 
Let's talk about how we get from here to something better. I think that coaching capability, look, in that, in that same set of data that I talked about uh, a moment ago, that pathway, folks don't make journeys like that on their own. It's, it's far, far and few between where people just have the self-determination. The world that sits in front of us is muddy and jumbled and it's chaotic. It's not always clear. And so uh, a manager serves as a tour guide of sorts to a coach of what can be better, should be better in the future ahead. I think if it is hard to quit somebody who is obviously in your corner trying to make you better day after day, they instill in people the belief that they can be and will do better. I think that is hard for uh, somebody to quit when they have that kind of support from yeah. them, from their, from their manager as a coach. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that. You had talked earlier about uh, the, the uh, influence of, of comp package on, on retention and, and it's a piece, but it's not, not nearly the most important piece, most important piece. People leave because they're not listened to. So you got to give them a voice. People leave because they, they, they aren't given a clear vision of, of where they can go next. This whole idea of career pathing is, is not, hasn't really been a big deal in, in automotive. And that's what helps contribute to all the, all the, all the turnover. And, and when you provide the developmental opportunities through the coaching and counseling that you talk about, and you provide a well-defined career path, do this and it will prepare you for that. Um, and you give them a voice and a, and a say in, in let's identify what the issues are and maybe you can help us to find a solution, then you're creating the stickiness that slows down that turnover. Absolutely. You know, ahead, I, heard, I heard another uh, durable skill in what you were talking about, Matthew, and that is the ability to read, interpret, and gain insights from data. I'd be mm. curious if you have any thoughts on that. <laughs> I do. Did I mention earlier the digital transformation work I did at Capital One? Yeah. So this was one of the key. Um, there used to be a time where you could outsource the understanding of data to a person in your department. That one person was the person everybody would go to to look at the reports and tell you what you need to know from it. And boy, did those folks roll it over as power. Now the expectation is that everybody knows how to look at data and understand what's happening. And I, I do think it's really important in this moment to say it's also incumbent on managers, on, on uh, operators, on, on the OEM itself to provide that data in a visual format that folks can do something with, right? There, there are two sides to this coin. There is the collection and visualization of data that is a responsibility of leaders to find ways to uh, capture that data and make it visible. There is then, it is incumbent on every employee, I don't care what job you have, uh, you know, for the folks who work on my team from the most junior to most senior, everybody's got some type of dashboard. Everybody's trying to think about how they improve based on it. Everybody is trying to connect different dashboards to see what data from one place tells me about uh, predictive of what's going to happen on the other. What, where is the correlation between data one place and the other? So I think there are, I think in this, I'll, I'll even be really specific, Kathy, and I'll say we talk about data in that kind of um, perishable, semi-durable, uh, durable skills. The, the durability the durable skill in all of that is knowing how to take data and, and put it into a visual format 
or knowing how to do analysis of data. On the other, on the really perishable side, it's what tool am I doing that in? Am I doing that in Salesforce? Am I using Tableau to do that? Which filters do I turn on? It gets really perishable in that because your tools start to change around you and you have to figure out how to do it. What I really need you to do in that durable space is to understand how the data relates to the decisions that you're making. Uh, how you change your process as a as a means of making better decisions based on that data, how to use the tool to flip the chart one way or another, that's the really perishable skill that I have in my organization. And so there's this bridging between the two. I've got to know how to do both, right? I better know how to use the filters on my Salesforce dashboard to get some meaningful data. And then I, I also need to know how to do the analysis of data and start to see trends and uh, and then provide coaching if I'm a manager or if I'm an employee, look at that data and make better decisions about what I do myself. Yeah, there was there was a I, I can't remember where I saw it, but it was fairly recently that said um, uh, data is the is the new oil in its crude form. It's not really very valuable, but only once you refine it does it become invaluable. And and I mean, we're overwhelmed by data. There's too much data. Um, um, Dashboards, um, OEMs love dashboards. They sell dashboards, but really, the only the people don't use dashboards generally, right? It's really for show more than anything else. But the ability to identify a trend within data uh, and and understand whether it's an anomaly or it really tells you something that's going to happen in the next ninety days. That's where the truth and and decipher out the stuff that doesn't really matter and just to pop where it really matters. That's a that's an incredible. Uh, skill set that that is, I think, somewhat lacking as we develop more and more uh, great data sources. Well, and I think it's it's also really critical when you start combining digital tools with what a sales professional does. What's the series of events that moves a customer, a potential customer, a prospect through the funnel? When I nurture them with a text, when I nurture them with an email, when we make a phone call, how do I move those folks? through the funnel to, so that we can close the deal with them. I think there are trends that start to happen. Yeah, the dashboard is, is not as critical as recognizing when all these tools come together in certain ways, I start to see that I close more deals or as a seller, of course, to see my pay go up, right? So all of those things being critical to gather insights on throughout, throughout the life of a, a deal. I, I just can't help but pick up on something that you, a term that you just used, the word nurture. We don't use that term enough. I think that in automotive, we tend to think of badgering versus nurturing. <laughs> so I think there's another uh, durable skill that we ought to be teaching. Um, wow, this has been a fascinating um, conversation. I, I Unfortunately, our time is coming to an end. And Matthew, I'd love to finish up with, so out out here listening to us to have this conversation are OEMs and dealers and uh, frontline personnel. W what should we all be doing differently to, to create a better talent equation out there in dealership land? Yeah. If, if I were uh, a thought leader in investment strategy, and I just told you that your current investment strategy wasn't getting you ready for a volatile market ahead, the thing that I would tell you to do is go change your portfolio now and get a better distribution in your portfolio. It, skills are the currency looking forward. 
the skills of the workforce are the currency uh, of any employer. And so I would just say the immediate advice I have to you is to go look at your skills distribution in the same way that you would at your own investment portfolio uh, for retirement. Do you have the right mix of skills? Do your programs teach people, your workforce, yes, about the trends, yes, about this year's makes and models, but do they also do the work of helping them establish longer-term skills and put those skills in the context of the lives of the folks who are going to work into the dealership for? So a really specific call to action here is to go look at your programs and ask yourself, am I teaching how to develop an occupational identity of a seller? Am I teaching them about how to think critically about these? Am I giving my uh, Salesforce scenarios where they have to figure out how to talk about those features in the context of the story that they just heard, not where they're doing a multiple choice test and choosing for me which trim has which feature associated with it. These are the really critical pieces to do an audit of the way that you are delivering development today so that you are both delivering the critical information they need about that product this year, but also so that they understand how to talk about that in the frame of the needs of the customers who are walking through the door. That is the the most critical call to action I can put in front of people today is to go look at the programs that you're rolling out and ask the question, are we simply delivering facts and figures? Are we simply delivering a sales methodology? Or are we figuring out how the intersection of all those pieces comes together into the durable skills of active listening, problem solving, critical thinking, being a learner, being agile, all those critical pieces that are actually going to build you a sales force that's ready for whatever the disruption is going to be as you get further into EVs. The disruption as legislation is going to continue to change. And uh, uh, administrations change at the state and federal level as uh, new regulations are put out. You develop a workforce that's ready for whatever comes next, not just how to go out and talk about this year's products. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dave, any final thoughts? Yeah, I just think this just brings home a very, very uh, important point. There's not a uh, a mission statement posted on any wall in any dealership in the country that doesn't talk about people as their most valued resource. And the reality is, as you look at asset utilization and you focus on um, what you need to do to, to, to get a better investment or a better utilization of your assets, dealers in the retail world are very comfortable looking at inventories and at facilities and at uh, cash balances and at receivables, much more so than they are looking at their people. And I think this whole discussion says that people, if they really are our most valued resource, then we need to spend more time and develop the metrics and to develop the benchmarks that that really um, uh, leverage our people better than they've been leveraged in the past. Because what's happening now is, is digital is not only changing um, the processes in a dealership for the way people transact, they're changing the skill sets required uh, for those transactions. And we need to change with it to make sure we have the right people starting with with how we recruit and attract people, how we assess and place people, how we train and develop people, and how we career path and retain people. All of that feeds in 
to a very sophisticated model for for people utilization, and it doesn't exist right now, and it needs to in a real quick. And I will tell you that the the 15 or 20 percent of the dealers that get that have a very very sustainable competitive advantage. Kath, we've talked to several mm-hmm. several of them in this podcast series, and and it's it sounds so simple, but but they care about their people, they listen to their people, they provide a training and career pathing for their people, they they give them a vision and and a voice, and they they retain those people, they reduce their people expenses, and all of them, and it's really brand agnostic, all of them whether the, the market is up or the market is down, perform better than their competitors when they have high retention and key positions and low turnover. And it's it's where we all need to get to. Yeah, yeah. So here's what, here's what my takeaways are. Number one, talent is the currency of the future. Uh, number two, it's time to assess your portfolio and making sure that you're developing the right skills to lead that team into the future. From there, it's um, communicate your purpose, it's develop agility amongst your teams, and it's coach for performance. You nailed it. <laughs> great. This has been a great conversation. And Matthew, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time with us today. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.